Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Today, you are going to learn how to outsmart emotional eating and live a life of happiness and joy without giving up the foods you love. Now, here is Dr. Nina. Welcome. Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I am your host, Dr. Nina Savelle Rockland, and I am here to help you liberate yourself from emotional eating, take back control, and feel great in your body. How does that sound? And you know what? We do that without dieting, without counting a single calorie, carb, or or fat gram, no macros, without weight loss surgery, without weight loss injections. We do it through the psychology of eating. And when you do that, guess what? When you really get to what's eating at you and focus on why you're eating instead of what you're eating, you can put binge eating, emotional eating, stress eating, all of that in your rear view mirror for good. Okay, so today's topic is from shame to self-worth, how to stop binge eating. If you are listening on Voice America, um, uh, awesome. If you are listening on the live stream on Instagram, welcome. And if you're on Instagram and you want to drop a comment or a question, please do so in the comment box and I will get to it as soon as I can. All right, so you know that horrible feeling that follows a binge. You know it, right? It's the worst. You are guilty, embarrassed. You feel horrified at what you just did. And often you end up binging again. Isn't that the ironic part? You end up binging again because you can't stand to be with yourself and and feel that shame. So if you don't stop the cycle of Binge eating and shame, shame and binge eating, it's never going to stop and you're going to feel miserable forever. I don't want that for you. I want you to uh, to heal yourself, to make peace with yourself and with food. This is why I believe in the binge cure, because you really can put it behind you for good. I am living proof of that. The people that I have helped treat patients and clients for the last 22 years. They are living proof of that. You do not have to struggle and suffer for the rest of your life, which is what a lot of people think. Um, You know, if, if every mess up, if that's how you think of it, if every mess up feels like a personal failure, I get it. I tortured myself for years with self hate. Whenever the scale crept up, whenever I ate something, I, I thought that I shouldn't eat. Um, I stopped the cycle for good, and that is why I do this work. I want to help you do the same. So let me tell you you more about this by telling you about Stella. Not her real name, but Stella was barely holding on to hope when we first met. Her shoulders were slumped. Her eyes were downcast. She was miserable. She was the picture of misery, and she said that she just couldn't stop binge eating, and it made her feel so bad about herself. And it is very common for binge eating to be intertwined with feelings of low self-esteem. But here's what's important to understand. Binge eating is a way of coping. It is not about willpower. It is not about control. It is not even, it's not even about food. And it is not a reflection of your character or your self-worth. It is something that you are doing to try to help yourself in a kind of a misguided way 
It's a coping strategy. It is a frenemy, I like to call it. It is a friend. It does something for you. It helps distract you. It helps comfort you. It helps soothe you. It does so many different things. But of course, it also hurts your sense of self and and damages your sense of self-worth. So Stella, she thought that binge eating led to low self-esteem. But in reality, it was the reverse. Low self-esteem, not feeling good about herself, was leading to binge eating, which in turn causes guilt, causes shame, diminishes your self-worth, and the cycle continues. So we're going to stop the cycle. When our self-worth and sense of self is already low, eating is a temporary way to feel better. It's a temporary way to numb those feelings. It's the binge zone, right? If, if, you can, if, if you can relate to that, the binge zone is where you're not thinking, you're not feeling, you're just in this mindless zone of eating, 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 and you just can't seem to break out of it. But it's when you're in the zone, you're often not feeling any of those terrible feelings. But of course, yes, it helps temporarily, but of course it makes it worse in the long run. It creates this loop that's really hard to escape every time you binge. It reinforces negative thoughts about yourself, feeding into, sorry for that expression, feeding, <laughs> leading to self, low self-esteem, which leads to binging, etc. So the key is we want to address not just the behavior, because that doesn't help, but the underlying emotions and ideas and beliefs about yourself that are contributing to the behavior. And when you learn to respond to yourself with compassion instead of criticism, and you find new and supportive ways to cope, everything is going to be different, right? That is why changing your relationship with food really means changing your relationship with you. And to do that, we got to identify the underlying triggers develop new strategies for dealing with those triggers, those feelings, those thoughts, those conflicts, et cetera. It is a process. It takes time. I am, I'm going to be very honest with you. It is a lot easier to focus on food than it is to look inward. Um, question on Instagram, what do I do if I still feel those terrible feelings and also the feeling of hopelessness of these never ending, of this never ending cycle? Great question. So what I often find is that people only, they only go so far with feeling their feelings. Like often when people say, and I don't know if this relates to you, Mel, I don't know if that's your name, Mel, but often people will say, well, I felt my feelings. Well, really, how, how did you feel your feelings? Well, I, I, so I, I, I realized I was angry or I cried and then I didn't feel better. Well, realizing your anger is just identifying your feeling as an example. If you realize you're you're angry, you are just identifying what you're feeling. But the process of feeling your feelings, expressing your feelings is to express it with affect. So it's, oh, I'm so upset because of this. And it means that. That's another important part of expressing feelings. We don't just want to discharge the emotion and be like, <laughs> we want to say, and it, and and I'm angry about it because it means this, or I'm sad because it means that. Uh, sometimes people will say, well, I cried and I cried and I cried and 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 nothing got better. And that may be, and this is very common with women, that they've converted anger, for example, to sadness. 
Men do the opposite often. They convert sadness to anger because it's okay to be mad if you're a dude, but you can't be vulnerable and you can't cry. So not true. So if you, if Mel is saying she's feeling the feelings and, and feels hopeless, so feeling hopeless is actually a thought. So first, what you got to do is express the feeling, what it is and what it means. And in full sentences, in words, I find journaling to be a really effective way to do this. This is why I created my guided Binge Cure Journal workbook to help you do that, to help you get it out of you onto the page. But the, but it's not just I'm feeling this. It's I'm feeling this because of this, and it means that. Then, you're not done, then you need to respond to yourself differently. So first you identify what you're feeling, then you express it, and then you respond to yourself differently. You comfort yourself with words. You, uh, you, uh, I came up with this acronym because I love acronyms. Bury your response. So you feel something, you express it, you realize what it means to you, what it means about you, what it means about the future, because we feel things because they have so many, it's so loaded. It's not just the situation. It's what the situation means to us and about us. And then you comfort yourself with words. Here's what you do. Here's where, well, first, here's what everyone does wrong. Most people will say, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, it could be worse. I should look on the bright side. Enough of this toxic positivity. It does not help. It is dismissive. So what you got to do is say, yeah, I feel terrible. Hi, Arnie. Good to see you here, here on Instagram. You got to say, I feel terrible. I am upset. I am sad. I am whatever. Of course I am. How could I not be given this situation? Got to validate and acknowledge what it is that's going on with you. Of course I'm upset. How could I not feel upset? This is going on and this is upsetting me and maybe someone else wouldn't be upset, but hey, I'm upset and I'm going to validate and acknowledge my right to feel what I'm feeling. And that's when you reassure yourself. And reassurance is not toxic positivity. Reassurance is not, mm, it's not that bad. It could be worse. I should look on the bright side. Let me be grateful for all that I have. There's nothing wrong with being grateful, but not in this situation. It does not help. It just then makes you feel you feel bad. And then you feel bad because you feel bad. And you can't gratitude your way out of a feeling. You can't positive think your way out of a feeling. You can't logic your way out of it. You can't think it away, ignore it, drop it, and you cannot stuff it down. What you have to do is, is express it and then respond to yourself. Of course, I feel this way. How could I not? But then you remember... I've been through tough times before. I have the resourcefulness and the, the capacity and the ability to get through this too. I'm going to get through this. Now notice, Mel, with your original question, I hope it's okay that I call you Mel. I think that's your name based on your Instagram handle. Um, I hope this, this helps because hopelessness is actually not a feeling. It's a thought that creates a feeling of of depression. Hopelessness is like saying nothing is ever going to change. When we have the thought of nothing's ever going to change, what do we do? We feel bad. We feel sad. We feel upset. We feel depressed. And it, you cannot simultaneously, whoop, 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 sorry. <laughs> I'm back. 
<laughs> my phone flipped over that I am live streaming on Instagram. My phone flipped over. Sorry about that. Um, you so you you cannot simultaneously say, oh, it's hopeless and feel better. So what happens is we often will binge or turn to food to make ourselves feel better, to comfort ourselves. And that's what leads to this cycle. Um, Bradley, I like, I'm glad that you think this is great stuff. I happen to think it's pretty great stuff too. Life-changing. So, and I'm happy to, to bring it to you every week here on Voice America and on Instagram. Um, so Mel and anyone else who can relate to this, it, you know, first you got it, you got to identify what you feel, you got to express it. What does it mean? What does it mean about you? What does it mean about the future? What does it about, mean about the world? Um, and 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 then you comfort yourself with words and reassure yourself. That doesn't mean dismissing it with gratitude. That means you really got to work on remembering your your ability, your resourcefulness, your intelligence, your the the things that you've been through before. You can get through. You got through that. You will get through this. And then guess what? You feel better. So that strategy is very vary your response, validate, acknowledge, and reassure yourself. I hope that helps. Let me know. Drop, drop me an emoji if, if that makes sense to you and if that helps. And if you have any other questions, please, please drop them in the, in the comments. Um, so this is, this is, this is, partly the problem is we live in a culture that says, hey, don't have feelings. You're strong if you don't have them, and you are absolutely, you know, weak if you actually have a feeling. And so, what do we do when we have a feeling, which is just reaction to a situation? It is not a character flaw. It doesn't mean anything about us. It just means that we are reacting to something. If we're sad, that doesn't mean we're a depressed person. I mean, some people are depressed, but. I'm talking about natural, normal human reactions that happen to us in our lives. If we get mad at something, that doesn't mean we're an angry person and we need anger management classes. It means we're upset about a situation that just happened and we have to honor that instead of what many people do is to, um, is, is to displace that anger onto themselves. Oh, I'm not angry at anybody else. No, 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 no. I'm actually really mad at myself because, oh my God, I got on the scale this morning and that binge from yesterday totally showed up and I hate myself. There's the low self-esteem. There's the shame. Mel said, yes. Oh, oh, you've listened to the audiobook three times. Oh, that makes me so happy. Yes. Practice makes progress. You got to practice, practice, practice. Remember, you learned this way of relating to yourself and to food. You have to unlearn it and learn a new way. And you can. You can. And you will with practice. Right? I know you can do it, Mel. You got this. So let's talk about like, like low self-esteem because that is a word that is bandied about constantly. And what does it actually mean? It's like one of those words that can mean so many different things to different people. Basically, it is a negative perception and evaluation of yourself. It is a belief, a deep-seated belief that you are not worthy, you are not competent, you are not valuable, you are not good enough. 
And people who feel this often see themselves as like inadequate or inferior to other people. They constantly are comparing themselves to other people and feeling bad about themselves. And often they have a totally distorted view of themselves. They they perceive that their abilities, their achievements, and their even their physical appearance, they perceive it in a negative light. And by the way, confirmation biases, we find the evidence we look for. We find the evidence we look for. So if we're looking for evidence that we're not good enough, oh, we will find it. But if we look for evidence that yes, we appreciate ourselves, we appreciate who we are, we did this well, we like this about ourselves, then that confirmation bias can work in our favor. It's like, so I live in Los Angeles where the freeways are horrible. I guess the freeways are horrible everywhere. But you could say, I live in Calabasas, you could say, hey, you know what? LA, LA drivers are the worst, the worst drivers ever. Um, and you could drive from Calabasas to LAX and there would be the worst drivers ever because they would cut you off. They would flip you off. They would just be horrible and selfish and nasty and clueless. And, you know, there's someone right, putting mascara on, looking in the rearview mirror while she's on the 405. Oh, we've all been there. We've all seen that person. Have you seen her too? I'm always seeing her. Or we could say, actually, LA drivers get a bad reputation. They're actually not that bad. They're nice. And you could drive that same stretch of freeway from Calabasas to LAX. And you know what? You'd have drivers that let you in, give you a little wave, perfectly nice, perfectly pleasant, make room for you, all of that. Now, which one is true? Trick question, because they're both true. But which do you want to focus on? And when it comes to our our sense of selves, we often focus on the bad drivers and not the good drivers. Really think about what evidence are you looking for when it comes to your sense of self? Because if you are looking at yourself and finding all the reasons why you're not good enough, you're flawed, you're deficient, you're not, you're, you're not live up to par, you're somehow not uh, where you should be in life or whatever it is that you're telling yourself, that's an idea that you may be unconsciously confirming, which just reaffirms your negative sense of self, which makes you feel bad, which makes you, yes, go to food for escape, for comfort, for, for reward, for punishment, for all the things. So low self-esteem is not just a, a, a momentary feeling of insecurity or self-doubt. We all have those momentary feelings of insecurity and self-doubt. Absolutely. That's part of the human condition. But low self-esteem is like a chronic sense of self that affects your overall outlook in life, your overall sense of self. And it just impacts every aspect of your life in a negative way. It's a, it's a, it's pervasive and it's this just sense of self-deprecation and not good enoughness. Well, it's the worst. And what causes it? Well, you know, it, it, it's caused by everything from childhood experiences to traumatic events to negative social messaging to how we interpret things. And it can be influenced if you, by depression, anxiety, everything. So it's, it's this feeling of not 
being good enough, not measuring up to some standard. It comes from your experience in life and it triggers thoughts about yourself. I'm not good enough. I'm worthless. I don't deserve this or that. I shouldn't even try. And this makes you feel terrible. And guess how you may be coping? Again, you may turn to food as a way of escaping your own mean voice. Low self-esteem and shame are, 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 are kind of intertwined. Shame, which I, I'm going to take a moment and just distinguish shame from guilt. So guilt is, um, oh my God, I, 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 I ate too many cookies. Shouldn't have done that. Ate too many cookies. Overdid it. They were so good. Oh, well, I'll just eat a little bit less later. Right. So guilt is feeling bad about something you did, but not letting that affect the way you feel about yourself. Shame is, I ate too many cookies. What is wrong with me? There's something deeply wrong with me. Oh my God, I'm ashamed. I'm mortified. I'm embarrassed. If anyone knew this, they'd be horrified. I hate myself. So guilt is about something that you did or did not do. Shame is a sense that there's something bad about you. Guilt is, I did something bad. Oh, well, it's, oh, it's not so bad. Shame is, there's something wrong with me. And shame is unbearable. And if you feel shame about binge eating, then that's going to permeate and affect your entire life, your sense of self. And Again, the leads it's a vicious cycle, right? You feel shame about binge eating and then you binge eat to get away from the shame, which makes it's just this vicious horrible cycle. And and low self-esteem by the way is something that is learned. Like I was saying to Mel just a, a moment ago, like you learned this way of relating to yourself, you learned this way of relating to food, you can unlearn it and learn a new way. Low self-esteem or, or, or sense of shame, these are learned. No baby was ever born feeling an, an acute sense of shame and low self-esteem. No. We learn it. We learn to feel bad about ourselves. We learn to think there's something wrong with us. We learn it. It's not true. It's just a belief. And what we learn, we can unlearn. Yes. Oh, Bradley, thank you so much. Yes, we need to avoid shame at all costs. And the way to do that is to really figure out how we came to believe this in the first place. It's, it's, it, it, but we can change what we can learn a new way that, so we need to learn, learn, look at, well, how did you come to believe this in the first place, challenge these beliefs, challenge these negative self-perceptions, build self-compassion. That's how we improve self-esteem. And that means acknowledging your worth, looking at the good drivers, not the bad drivers. The bad drivers are out there. And if you miss my analogy, because you're a little bit late to the show, um, the, the bad drivers, I made an analogy to driving in, in traffic. You, you can look at the there are good drivers and there are bad drivers. And we see mostly the ones we're looking for. So when you look for what's wrong with you, oh yes, you're going to find that evidence. But if you look at what's right about you, what you like about you, what you appreciate about yourself, and when you uh, accept your imperfections, oh my goodness, in this airbrushed perfectionistic society we live in, we're not allowed to make mistakes. But <laughs> 
Mistakes makes us, make us human. Look, I just made a little mistake, right? It's not so terrible. So a- a- accepting imperfections, accepting our perfectly imperfect selves is so important. And that is how you start cultivating a healthier relationship with yourself. Because when you are kind to yourself, guess what? You don't need food to escape yourself or anything. So back to Stella. Let's go back to Stella, who was so mortified and filled with shame, shame-ridden about herself and her what she was doing with food. And she described her eating behaviors as her, quote, secret shame. And she was so embarrassed about her nightly binge eating episodes, which you know, every night for really decades, she had been good all day. That's her word. I was good all day until nighttime after dinner when she would vow to be good, but inevitably she would be drawn to the kitchen and absolutely lost control, which was followed by self-criticism, self-deprecation, shame, all of it. And that led to more binging. So again, she had like 25-year history with with binge eating, and she was desperate, desperate to create change. Uh, but she she struggled so long that she was afraid that there was absolutely no hope for her. Mel, maybe you can maybe you can relate. Anyone else is listening, maybe you can relate to that feeling like, oh my gosh, I've never been able to change. Will I ever be able to change? Well, um, in the context of binge eating, shame is so destructive because it just you know it, it binge eating leads to shame, shame leads to binge eating. So let's break this cycle by address by addressing both low self-esteem and shame. You've got to challenge your thoughts. Your thoughts are not reality. Your thoughts are a construct. You, you interpreted experiences and that led to you believing what you thought. For example, um, I'm, I'm kind of making this up, but as an example, a lot of people can relate to this. So I'm not talking about any one person, but um, there. If you grew up and you're like, say, your mother was depressed, a depressed mother feels like, as psychoanalyst Andre Green said, a dead mother. So if you're a kid and you've got a depressed mother, no kid is going to go like, "Oh, my mother is depressed. She is deeply depressed," and as a result, she is unable to really show up for herself or me, and that is why she seems so lackluster and can't take care of me and isn't that interested in me or anything at all. It's just her depression. Said no kid ever in life. No. Kids say, "Oh my gosh, my mother's not there for me. She's not responsive. What's wrong with me? It must be me. There must be something wrong with me. I must be too much or not enough. Let me figure out what's wrong with me, and then I'm going to make it right, and then I'm going to get the mothering that I deserve that my mother is withholding from me because, you know, clearly she's deemed me not, not good enough or too much. And this, this strategy of let me make myself good so I'll get the care that I need turns into a conviction of there is something wrong with me. And there was never anything wrong with you. There was something wrong with the situation where, you know, a depressed parent affects 
their child, but the child doesn't understand it, interprets it as meaning there's something wrong with them. And that leads to a sense that there is something wrong with them that leads to shame. So this is how we learn things like this. That's an example. This is how we learn to, to think badly about ourselves. And then it feels real. I think I'm almost out of time. I'm really bad at my uh, my engineer. My normal engineer is not here. <laughs> my new engineer is probably like, what, why is she not looking at the clock? Okay, uh, I, I, I think I'm almost out of time for break. I really got to get better at this stuff. Um, I think I think that my 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 break is coming up. So I'm going to stay with you here on Instagram. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask me. Uh, if you're on Voice Voice America and you're listening, we're going to come back <clears throat> and we're going to talk about how to break the shame cycle. Okay? So I'll see you in a couple minutes. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you tired of the endless cycle of dieting and binging? Ready to break free from emotional eating and regain control of your life? Look no further than The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina, the transformative radio show that will empower you on your journey to food freedom. Dr. Nina is here to guide you every step of the way. Join her as she delves into the true causes of binge eating, uncovers hidden triggers, and gives you effective strategies for lasting change. With practical tips and inspiring stories of transformation, The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina will help you nurture a healthier mindset, embrace self-compassion, and rediscover your true self. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Have questions for Dr. Nina? Join her on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back to The Binge here with Dr. Nina. Today, we are talking about how to go from shame to self-worth, how to stop binge eating. We talked a little bit about what is low self-esteem, what causes low self-esteem, and um, 
and and the relationship between shame and binging. And so breaking the cycle requires addressing both low self-esteem and shame, which are intertwined. We want to challenge the negative thought patterns you have about yourself and cultivate self-compassion in order to create a kinder self-view. Because when you can show up for yourself, you do not need food as a way of coping. Um, It's kind of like this. I, I love the analogy of a weed and a root. So you do not have to be a gardener to know that if you just pluck a weed, it will grow back. You've got to get to the proverbial root. And where is the root? It's underground. You can't see it, but you know it's there because it it, it causes the roots to grow. I mean, the weeds to grow. So this is analogous to our unconscious, our hidden minds. We're in the dark about certain things, but those hidden thoughts have a lot to do with uh, what our behavior is. So that's why we got to dig deep, get to the root of the issue instead of just focusing on the weed. So let's go back to Stella, who growing up, she internalized the idea that her value was contingent on her achievements and also her physical appearance. This was very important to her parents. Uh, and she got a lot of critical parental messages. And so she developed this self-concept that depended on external validation to feel good. And she always felt a, just this chronic sense of inadequacy. Nothing was ever good. So every night, every night, and she wondered why she was binging every night. Well, Before she started binging, every night she'd think about the mistakes she'd made that day. She'd think about things she said to people, how she could have said it differently, how she could have just been better in all ways and just ruminate about all her perceived mistakes, deficits, really human moments, but she highlighted them as some kind of terrible defect. And her mind would replay every every perceived misstep, every awkward interaction, and she would magnify them until they overshadowed actually any of her accomplishments that day. This is what she was thinking about. And so this, this nightly ritual of self-criticism became the catalyst for binge eating. She would feel just overwhelmed with a sense of inadequacy and flaw, feeling flawed, feeling bad about herself. And so uh, she would turn to food for comfort. And this is what silenced that harsh inner dialogue. But of course, each binge left her feeling even more terrible, full of self-loathing. <laughs> shame. It just reinforced all the negative things that she said about herself. So binge eating was both a symptom and a cause of her deep-seated feelings of unworthiness. How do we break the shame cycle? I have established, I think pretty clearly, hey, there is definitely a connection between the way we talk to ourselves, the words we use, the way we think about ourselves, the way we handle uh, things that come up, our emotions, and what we do, what, our behavior. Thoughts lead to feelings, lead to behavior. I'm not good enough as a thought leads to a feeling of, of, of sadness, of frustration, of inadequacy, or whatever it is, leads to binging to, to escape that horrible thought. The key is to challenge the thoughts right? If you don't have the thought of, I'm not good enough, and you have the thought of, I did the best I can. I, I did well enough. I feel good about myself. I don't have to be perfect. Guess what? How do you feel? You feel fine. You don't feel bad. 
And if you, and if you feel fine, you don't need to cope. Right. So that's part of it. And also, uh, as I was talking about earlier in response to Mel's question, how do you deal with the feelings that come up? You identify what you're feeling, you express your feelings. And that includes identifying like, what does this situation make me feel? And what does it mean about me? And what does it mean about others and the world and all of those things? And then you comfort yourself using my acronym of VARY. So like Stella, if you can relate to Stella, you're, you're, you probably find it really easy to berate yourself with this nasty internal dialogue, which leads to shame, which leads to self-esteem, which leads to binging. And Stella, so what? So how did Stella break free? Um, how did Stella get her groove back? Great book. Okay. Um, when Stella began to recognize, when we worked together and began to recognize that she was using binging as a, a, as a way to escape these bad feelings and thoughts that she had about herself, that's when she realized, oh, she was actually a mean girl to herself. She was she would she she would never say the things she said to herself. She would never say them to anyone else. So she began to encourage and support herself instead of tearing herself apart. Her rule was that if she wouldn't say it to someone she cared about and loved, or even a stranger, she wouldn't say it to anyone else. She was not going to say it to herself, and just really being aware of how nasty her dialogue was um made her by being being more aware of it she saw it more and she could slowly learn to challenge it and stop it and the more she was a friend to herself the less binge eating she did she started feeling better about herself and she started focusing on enjoying her life instead of constantly slave driving herself to meet other people's expectations. And eventually, without ever going on a diet, without ever focusing on food, she focused on what was eating at her. She learned new ways of responding to herself, new ways of expressing herself, new ways of coping. She stopped binging and she lost weight and she got happy. Actually, she got happy and that's what laid, led her to be able to uh, stop binging. And lose weight. So here are the steps. How much time we have? Okay, we have enough. We have enough time. Here are the steps that helped Stella create lasting change. First, she cracked the code to emotional eating. So um, first, you got to recognize like what's eating at you. And a lot of people think that they are uh, addicted to food, or they just have a food problem, or they have an ice cream problem, or a cookie problem, or a pizza problem, or a carb problem, or what? No, you don't have a, a food problem. You have a problem that food is resolving. But what is that? Because we get so used to and so quick at turning to food, we don't even know what's going on inside. So first, you got to get aware of that negative self-talk and self-criticism. Keep a journal. Keep a journal of just like, what was going on and what did I eat? You know, crack the code of I want to eat. What problem is this solving? Ask yourself that. What problem is this solving? Which might sound like a like a strange question, but if, in time you will see a a pattern. Oh, every time I have a, a, like I have to talk to my boss, I end up wanting to you know eat ice cream. Hmm. 
hmm, or something like that. So what's the problem? The, the, whatever the dynamics are with your boss. Ice cream is the solution to the problem, not the problem. So first identify which emotions, conflicts, thoughts, beliefs, situations are present right before you feel the need to binge or want to eat. Um, do some emotional gardening, right? Dig deep. Self-shaming sprouts. Sorry. Because <laughs> oh, I'm going to try not to use like gardening lexicon, but... It's just too punny, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try not to do it. But self-shaming comes from beliefs and experiences that are buried in our past often. So think about those moments in your past. It could be your childhood. It could be later. Something that, let it, that left a mark on you and made you feel bad about yourself. So understanding the origins of shame is the first step to healing. And our early relationships, especially with caregivers, parents, but it could also be with siblings or grandparents or aunts and uncles or teachers, they shape so much of who we are and how we think about ourselves. Uh, I, I know someone who's an actor and by his own admission, he is not the best actor in the world. And yet he is he works all the time. He's been done series. He's done like he's he's done. If I told you his name, you'd know him. I'm not going to tell you his name, but I will say this: He grew up with parents who thought he walked on water. Just he was the best thing ever. They just thought he was the most amazing person in the world, and they made him feel that way. So what happens when he goes to a casting office? He goes in where other actors are like, "Oh my god, I hope they like me. I hope I do well enough." Mm -hmm. Right, they're all worried about being evaluated and judged, and they've got voices from the past <laughs> haunting them. He goes in like they're gonna love me. His parents loved him. His casting directors, they're gonna love him too, of course. And so he goes in, he's just so easy to talk to, he does a decent job, people love him. That's why it works all the time. Right. So it it the, the way that we grow up has a lot of impact on the way we feel about ourselves and our expectations about how other people are going to treat us and how they are going to see us. If, if you grew up in a, a, a different kind of uh, environment and you were constantly getting, say, criticized, nitpicked, you're going to expect that the world is going to be critical and you're going to act accordingly, which, you know, uh, People can be unpredictable, unreliable, and unavailable. Food is predictable, available, and reliable. So sometimes if you can't have satisfying, gratifying, fulfilling relationships with people, maybe you use food for that purpose uh, symbolically. Um, all right, so reflecting on how our early relationships or, or what was modeled for us um, uh, affected us is really, really important. It 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 shows pattern. It shows us patterns, and you want to be a detective of the mind. This is not about being critical. This is not about saying, "Oh, uh, my parents were bad." No, it's not about that at all. It's about saying, "Hmm, let me understand how I came to believe this about myself. Let me be curious, not critical." It's about explaining, not blaming. Blaming doesn't help anybody. Blaming is like. Mm, it's their fault they treated me this way. 
Uh, that doesn't help anybody. Explaining is, okay, this is the way that, that I was treated, or this is the message I got, and this is how it affected me, and I want to understand that in the service of change. For example, Stella. Her mother apologized every time she made a mistake. Her mother would say things like, oh my God, I'm such an idiot, or oh, oh my God, how could I have been so stupid? Now remember how hard Stella was? And how she would ruminate about her perceived mistakes or how she would like, you know, re rethink her whole day and kind of catch those moments and go like, oh, my God, I'm such an idiot. Mm. Right. Well, she learned it. So her her mother wasn't being like purposely trying to make Stella feel bad about herself. Her mother had her own stuff, as my grandmother would say, her own Mishigas, which is Yiddish for her own stuff. It's such a fun word to say. I like to say it. Okay. So she, Stella's mother never said anything like that to Stella. Stella never heard her mother tell her like, oh, you're such an idiot. But Stella saw her mother telling herself that she was such an idiot. And so because this was modeled for her, this is what she internalized. And so she would, she grew up to beat herself up for being like such an idiot and so stupid, which made her feel bad, which led to, you guessed it, binge eating as a way to soothe and distract herself and get away from her own inner mean girl critic. Um, all right. So first she cracked the code of emotional eating. She did some emotional gardening and then she learned to express emotions. Uh, our emotions are a compass. They guide us, but sometimes we lose, we, we lose our way, right? Um, society encourages us to hide our feelings or minimize them or positive think them away, but it is healthy and necessary to feel our feelings. Everyone expresses a range of emotions. It's okay to not be okay sometimes. Our feelings just connect us to ourselves and to each other. That is the reality. That's the truth. Our feelings are reactions to situations, and they help us know that we're alive, and they give us information about any particular situation. How do you feel about that? What does it mean to you? All of that. So expressing and understanding your emotions, it is so crucial. We got to give them the attention that they deserve, and that begins with self-awareness, identifying, acknowledging, expressing. And by the way, you might feel mixed feelings. You, some people uh, uh, feel mad and sad at the same time or hopeful and depressed at the same time. Learn that it's okay to have a, a range of feelings that don't make sense. That's because it's not logical. It is psychological. It's not supposed to make sense. And one of the things you can start is to say, like, I feel sad or I feel mad. Just I, that's identifying it. Just identify it to begin with before you then learn to express it and respond to yourself. So once you identify it, try to understand why you're feeling this way. This goes back to looking at that link between what was going on and what happened with food. So you're going to look at the events, the circumstances, the situations, the thoughts that led to you feeling whatever this emotion is. And all, all emotions can pretty much be distilled into mad, sad, glad, and afraid. Um, 
most emotions, just so if, you, if, you're, if you're like, I have no idea what I'm feeling, mad, sad, glad, or afraid. Um, so if you're feeling mad, if you're angry, and by the way, anger, a lot of people say, oh, I'm not an angry person. Well, are you frustrated? Yeah, I'm frustrated. Well, frustration is a form of anger. Frustration is a form of anger. Irritation is a form of anger. Uh, annoyance is a form of anger. Rage is a form of anger. So there are all different levels of, of, of feelings and intensities. Um, and understanding the why between you know, what you're feeling and what's going on with you is so important. Why, what triggered you? You are not triggered by food, by the way. You are triggered by some situation or thought or feeling or whatever that maybe you don't want to look at, maybe you don't want to feel. And then, as I said before, journaling is a great way to express what you're feeling. So you write, I am mad, I am angry, I'm sad, I am I'm mad, glad, sad, or afraid because of this. And it means that. Those are very important things because of this, and it means that. And then cultivate self-compassion. Self-compassion is like, oh, it's like a, it's like, it's just a way of soothing yourself when you're shaming yourself and to turn self-shame into self-compassion. Self-compassion is about being kind to yourself, understanding towards yourself, even and especially when you stumble. And when, if, if a friend of yours or a child or someone you care about made a mistake, would you say to your friend, oh my God, you made that mistake. You are, oh, that's horrible. You, you're just, you suck. I don't think I even like you anymore. Like, no, of course not. You would never say that. You would never say to someone who made a mistake, what's wrong with you? I can't believe you did that. Ugh. So why say it to yourself? How about this? How about you treat yourself? as you would treat a friend. What a concept. Treat yourself with the same kindness, understanding, forgiveness that you would extend to a friend, a loved one, a child, someone you love, and someone you care about. So instead of beating yourself up for binge eating, try to understand why it happened. Try to understand like what, what were the feelings that led to this. Then express it and use very to support yourself. You know, otherwise, you know, shame, if you shame yourself, you're, you're going to turn to food to escape your own mean voice. But you, if you cultivate the power of self-compassion and you are kind and you are understanding and you treat yourself as you would a friend or a child, then you're going to feel better. And when you feel better, you don't need food to, to cope. So back to Stella, Instead of calling herself names, instead of going like, oh my God, I'm such an idiot, or how could I have been so stupid? Stella started treating herself as she would treat all her friends, and it was very nice to her friends. She validated and acknowledged her emotions. She reassured herself that she had the ability to get through difficult, challenging times and deal with the difficult, challenging boss in her case. And the more she did this, the less she turned to food for comfort and distraction. So breaking free from this cycle of negative self-talk, negative sense of self, um, uh, shaming yourself, which makes you feel terrible, which leads to binge eating, to escape, to cope, all of those things, it, it, it requires more than uh, just looking at the symptoms of binge eating. 
binge eating, here's the thing. Listen to this. This is the most important thing that I can tell you. Binge eating is a solution to a problem. It is not the problem. In Stella's case, it was the solution to her problem of of being toxic to herself. It helped her escape. So what is it doing for you? What The next time you head for food, ask yourself, what problem is this solving? That is the most important question that you can ask yourself. Um, and so being introspective, identifying the root causes, that is everything. It is hard. <sighs> yeah, it's not easy. It is a lot easier to go like, okay, uh, did I make my macros or I I was so bad or I'm going to be good or I'm going on that diet or I'm going to try this new gym workout. It is a lot easier to focus on what you're eating than it is to focus on why you're eating. But when it comes to binge eating, stress eating, any kind of emotional eating, the real problem is not food. <laughs> the real problem is what's eating at you, not what you are eating. So that means identifying what's eating at you, cultivating a different response to your feelings, treating yourself like a friend, and responding to yourself in a soothing, comforting way. When you comfort yourself with words, guess what? You don't need food for that purpose. And this journey may not be easy. It's not, but it is worth it. It really is worth it. All right, I actually am done with the show today. So I have a little bit more to to say, but I'm going to save it for next week. Um, Thank you so much again for joining me here on The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I am live every Thursday at noon Pacific on Voice America and live streaming on Instagram. And again, if you want a deeper dive into this topic and many others, please check out my best-selling book, The Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating. It is available on Amazon in all formats, including audiobook if you want me to read it to you. And if you want to implement some of the things that I talk about in the book, also grab The Binge Cure Journal. It will help you liberate yourself from emotional eating, take back control, and feel good in your body. And yes, it is all it is possible. It is possible for, it was possible for me. That's why I do this work. I was that person. I am no longer someone who struggles with food at all. And in the 22 years that I've done this work, I have helped thousands of people to outsmart emotional eating and liberate themselves. And it's in their past. It can be in your past too. So stay curious, not critical. And I will see you next week. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Each week, she offers valuable insights to stop emotional eating and give steps to lead a joyous life. Tune in next Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.